0: Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, Romans chapter 1, as we kick off a new practicing series that we've entitled Preach the Gospel. And if you're new to our church and therefore to a practicing series, basically one to two times a year what we do is we pick a practice from the life and teaching of Jesus. Uh, We teach on it here and then we uh, work on it um, uh, really together as missional communities throughout the week. We really believe as Christians that uh, more than just being hearers of the Word, we want to be doers of it. We want to learn how to actually uh, apply the things that we are learning. And So over the years, um, we've had these practicing series and what we've covered is things like how to pray, uh, fasting, spiritual warfare, uh, forgiving others, discovering our calling silence and solitude, Sabbath rest, and next up on our docket today is a practicing series on how to preach the gospel. And so what I want to invite you to do is just one more time stand with me out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Um, We stand because we believe that this is uh, not just a, a book among many other books, but this is the living Word from the living God, and so we stand out of reverence as He speaks. Romans chapter one. Starting in verse 15, and let me say this before I read, by the way. Uh, this week, there's quite a bit we're going to cover. Next week, especially, is going to be somewhat, maybe even controversial in some ways. Um, the notes for the sermon is always on the version Bible app, so um, if you have that, that little card actually in the back of the seat in front of you, um, that shows you how you can get access to the sermon notes, and there's scriptures on there and things I won't have time to cover, but if you want to do a deep dive, uh, you can get more into it that way. So I just want to throw that out there. Romans chapter 1, verse 15 through verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness. That is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, I thank you so much for those who are listening right now. We open our hearts, God, ultimately to you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will minister to us that you will make the gospel we're going to talk about today alive in our hearts and that we will be a people, we'll be a church who takes this gospel forward so that people who are in our city and far away can experience in you the life they are longing for. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, I had these red dots come up on my face um, and then it began to make its way over my body. And I've already had chickenpox, so I knew it wasn't that. And so. I went to the doctor, he looked at me, and he said, oh, you have a staph infection, uh, you need to immediately go home, quarantine, and take these three antibiotics. So I go home, I do exactly what he says, I begin to take these antibiotics, and he told me, he said, if you're not better by Monday, you need to come back, we're probably going to have to admit you in the hospital. So it's a pretty serious deal, right? I go home, and, and I'm quarantining, before quarantining was like, you know, the thing. And so um, I'm taking my three antibiotics, and Monday rolls around, and not only was my rash not better, it had gotten worse, so I go back to this clinic and I didn't see the same guy. I saw a different doctor. He looks at me and basically he says, um, I don't think this is staph infection, Like, can I run a few tests on you? And I said, uh, sure. And so he runs test, goes, comes back in the room. He says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is uh, this is not staph infection. Um, so you can throw your antibiotics away. You're done with that. You don't have to go to the hospital. It's like uh, the, the bad news is though, you have a gluten allergy which basically means uh, don't eat any more breadsticks from Olive Garden or Chinese buffets or pretty much anything that's good. Like just, you can't eat that anymore. Um, Wheat, it's, it's gone. <clears throat> and um, and I remember in that moment when he told me this, I was thinking to myself, well, one, I, w- I was happy because I was like, okay, I don't have staph infection. That's good. But I also remember thinking, man, how crazy is it that we live in a world where you can be allergic to something that is so good and fulfilling? And as I thought about that this past week, I thought, isn't it true that for many of us in the world, we're not just allergic to things like gluten, but we're allergic we're allergic to even things that are good and fulfilling, like preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, for most of us, if we can be honest, I think for different kinds of reasons, we have a negative reaction when we hear this word evangelism, we're sharing our faith. And therefore, when it comes to our own discipleship to Jesus, uh, rather than having this public faith where we actually talk about Jesus with others— um, we would prefer to just kind of keep our head down and stay quiet and to ourselves and like maybe if we're feeling really bold, like we'll like share a scripture on Facebook or whatever else. Or maybe for some of us, we, we kind of take this approach where it's like, okay, I'm going to mow my neighbor's yard for him and I'm going to pray like crazy that he'll know Jesus is Lord just by how well like, I edged the grass or whatever else it may be. But to actually open up our mouths and preach the gospel, that's something that fewer and fewer people are actually doing in our culture. I read an article this past week by Barna, and they said this. Only 52% of professing Christians have shared the gospel at least once in the past year. Think about that. 48% of Christians did not share their faith with one single person in 2021. And this trend doesn't seem to be getting any better anytime soon. Barna goes on, they, they state that 47% of all millennials who are practicing the way of Jesus believe it is wrong to share their faith. 47%. That means that half of the people between the ages of 19 to 39 think that what I'm talking about today is actually a bad thing, that we should not share the gospel with others. And if that is where you are this morning, listen, there's no condemnation for me But what you need to know is that all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this clear, compelling vision and command from Jesus to preach the gospel. Matthew 28, Matthew records Jesus is saying this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. At the end of the gospel of Mark, Mark records Jesus is saying, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In uh, Acts chapter 1, which is actually a two-part ending to Luke 24, Acts is written by the same person as, uh, as, as the gospel of Luke. Um, Luke records, as Jesus is about to ascend and go and be with his Father in heaven, the last words he records Jesus saying is this, "...and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth." In John's version of this, in his gospel, he records some of Jesus' last words as saying this, just as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you, and then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. So four different ways of saying the exact same thing, that no matter who you are or where you come from, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are actually being sent by Jesus to preach the gospel, to open up your mouth and tell others about God and this is the heart of Jesus, by the way, to live as this sent one. Uh, Jesus actually said himself that, that I have come, quote, to seek and save the lost. Jesus says that's why I have come, to, to run after and rescue those who are on a path towards destruction. And here's the kicker, guys. How does Jesus do that today? How does Jesus plan? If he's not physically here, how does he plan to seek and save the lost? Well, it's through the church. It's through what, what Paul referred to as the body of. Of Christ through ordinary people like you and me, through the power of the Spirit, who go out and preach the gospel to those who are far from God. And as awkward and as uncomfortable as this makes us, I want you to think about this. The reason that you're here, and the reason that that you believe the gospel, the reason that you're a Christian, is because someone was courageous enough to share their faith with you. Um, You know, whether it was a youth minister, or a family member, or a friend, Right? Or some sort of celebrity like Christian on Instagram, whatever it was, you are here because a disciple of Jesus was obedient to preach the gospel to you. One of the reasons that I'm here is in large part because of my parents' faith, but it's also because when I was in college, uh, when I was 20 years old, I went on academic probation. Uh, there was a girl that uh, I was with the time I thought I was going to marry. I worshiped this girl. She was my God. And eventually my God said, bye bye which began to just send me into the place of just desperation and despair. And I was so much in despair that one day I was actually watching TBN. Uh, I don't watch TBN now. I definitely didn't watch it when I was in college, but I was desperate. And I'm sitting there watching TBN, and this guy named Bart Millard, who's the lead singer for Mercy Me, comes on. And he begins to share his story about what Jesus had done for him and what he could do for others. And honestly, I don't remember what exactly he said, but I know he shared the gospel. And in that, the Holy Spirit just quickened my heart. He opened my eyes to see how good and beautiful Jesus really is. And literally, it changed my entire life. And so I share that to say this. The reason I'm here, the reason this church is here, right, which we planted 10 years ago, the reason we're all here today is because someone was courageous and loving enough to share the gospel, So the question I want to run after today is this, as we enter into the series on preaching the gospel, I think I would actually be a pretty bad pastor um, if I did this without first explaining what the gospel is. Like, how can we preach the gospel if we don't know what the gospel is? And I know for some of you, um, maybe you're here right now and you're like, Jared, I've known what the gospel is for, for years, but here's my assumption. If I was, to, and I'm not going to do this by the way, but if I was to ask every single person one by one to come up here on the mic and explain the gospel to the room, my guess is that some of you wouldn't even know where to start and that when we were all said and done, there'd probably be at least 40 different answers. And so rather than assuming that we all know what the gospel is, that we're all on the same page, I want to make sure today and do the best I can to explain to you what the gospel is so we know what Jesus is actually commanding us to preach. Does that make sense? And there are a lot of different definitions, a lot of different ways to summarize the gospel. I think most of those are incomplete, which I'll talk about next week. I'm going to preach a a sermon next week on the four American gospels that we often hear, that there's some truth to them, but they're very incomplete. And so I want to share with you what I think is, is one of the best summaries I've read in a while of the gospel. This comes from John Tyson. I'll put it on the screen for you. And here's what he says. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the creator, out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our great joy. Again, I know that's a lengthy kind of summary of the gospel. What I want to do in the time we have left is just share a few thoughts on this, draw some implications, and then we will be done. But the first thing I want you to see in a lot of this summary and a lot of what the Bible teaches is that the gospel, listen to me, is good news. That's what the word gospel means. In the Greek, uh, which is what the New Testament is written in, the word gospel comes from the word euangelion, which appears 76 times in the New Testament. And it literally means good news. And despite what maybe you might have heard, the word gospel actually originally was not a religious word. It was a military term. And so in the first century... Um, it was a word that referred to kind of the proclamation of a victory by winning of a battle of war. So if you won a fight, you would send out a messenger to preach the gospel or to proclaim the good news about your victory. And this is the word that the apostle Paul and the New Testament teachers chose to explain what God has done for us through Jesus. It is a word, please hear me, that is far more than just being about good advice, which a lot of times is what we make the gospel. Believe these things and you will go to heaven. That's some good advice. And it is that but far more than just being good advice the gospel is good news and according to Paul it is powerful news that when we believe it will transform us from the inside out. And therefore because that is true what I want you to understand today because the gospel is news it is not something that we can simply pro- demonstrate with our hands but we have to proclaim it with our mouths. How many of you have heard that famous quote from St Francis of Assisi uh preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, a lot of you. It's very famous. Super cool quote, super trendy quote, especially among millennials, right? Sounds cool, but it's actually dumb. Like it doesn't make any sense. Because to say, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, is like me saying, go tell someone the daily news, and when possible, or if possible, use words. Like, the gospel is news. Like, that's what it is. And therefore, in order to share it, we have to actually proclaim this with our mouths. That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 1, which you read earlier in verse 15, says, I am eager to preach, or your translation might say, proclaim the gospel to you. If you remember in our Advent series, which seems like forever ago now, But in our Advent series, uh, on Christmas morning, what did the angels do? They went to the shepherds and they declared verbally, quote, the good news of great joy. I think of Acts chapter 4 verse 20 where Peter and John get beat for preaching the gospel. And then they're told by the religious leaders, if you don't shut up, we're going to kill you. And what does John and Peter say? We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And this is very important. Why can't Peter and John keep from speaking the good news? Because as human beings, we cannot not share good news. Whether it's the good news about a vaccine or the good news about a promotion or a good news about your team winning the big game Or good news about, hey, this new season of Ted Lasso or whatever your show is has just come out. like We cannot not share good news with other people. And therefore, my hope is in this series is that we will see, yes, the gospel is true news, but it is also good news and it is powerful news that we cannot not share with others. Secondly, what I want you to see, not only is the gospel good news, but the gospel is about God. Despite what you have been told, the gospel is not primarily about self-improvement or lifestyle enhancement. We'll talk a lot more about this next week. The gospel is not primarily about you and your plan. It is about God and his plan. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God was here long before you were here, and he will be here long after you are gone. The Bible is clear in Job 14 that God appointed a time for you to be born and a time for you to die. And so when you become a Christian, you are not Uh, God is not stepping into your story as much as you are stepping into his story. According to the scriptures, God the Father has planned your salvation. God the Son, through his life, death, and resurrection, has accomplished your salvation. And God the Spirit is the one who opens up your heart to give you the power to receive this gospel and therefore experience salvation the Holy Spirit is also the one who empowers you to to live out your salvation. He's the one who frees you from the slavery of sin so that you can, in the words of Jesus, in John 15, bear fruit for the glory of God. So the gospel is about God. He's the center, not us. Third, the gospel is about the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, here's Jesus' summary of the gospel, okay? This is why Jesus would talk about the gospel. He says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the what? Good news, or it could be translated as believe the gospel. Now, according to Jesus, notice in context, what is the good news? What is the gospel? That the kingdom of God has come near. Now, growing up, here's what I heard the gospel is, okay? Um, Believe in Jesus, and when you die, you will go to heaven. And it'll be awesome. Like that was the gospel. I don't know if anybody else heard that. Like believe in Jesus. And if you do, when you die, you will go to heaven and it'll be awesome. Now, here's the thing. That is a very popular message in the Bible Belt. But it's actually, whenever you look at the summary of the gospel, it's not actually talked about that way in the actual Bible. In fact, one of the most surprising things for people often is when they read the scriptures on their own is um, what they discover is that whenever you come to the end of the story of God in the book of Revelation, the story doesn't end with us going to heaven as much as it talks about heaven coming here. It ends with the kingdom of God overlapping with the kingdom of the world. And as as a result, everything in creation is finally restored and renewed and made new. Right? Think about Revelation 21. John gets a, uh, revelation of the end of times. He's a vision. The new heavens is coming down with the new earth. And Jesus is saying what? Behold, I make all things new. And what Jesus is getting at here in Mark 1 is just that reality. Whenever he says, believe the good news that my kingdom is now breaking into the present world, what he's saying is believe that I am now making this world new one life at a time through each miracle, through each healing, through each salvation. You are getting a picture of what the kingdom of God is like, a kingdom where in the words of Jesus himself, one day every tear will be wiped away. It's a kingdom where in the words of Isaiah, sighing and sorrow will flee away and gladness and joy will overtake you. So the gospel, we've got to get this. We don't think about it this way, but according to Jesus himself, the gospel is about the kingdom of God coming here. Fourth, and finally, I would say this. The gospel is about love. John three sixteen says that God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. First John 4 10 says, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Put another way, the gospel says this, that you did not go looking for God, but God went looking for you. You did not work your way to God, but God through Jesus worked his way to you. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of, of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, which I'm sure was a beautiful name back in its day. And, 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 and if you know this story, you can read it yourself in the book of Hosea, uh, Gomer decides she doesn't want to be married to Hosea anymore. So I'm going to chase after all these other men. Uh, these, all, these other men can satisfy me more than you can, and so I'm going after them. And Hosea, like any man would do, eventually, you know, he gets tired of it. It's like, I, I'm not going to keep pursuing you. Enough's enough. But God comes to Hosea, and what does he say? He says, look, your wife's whoredom, and that's the, that's the word that God uses in Hosea, your wife's whoredom is a picture of what my people are like. What the people of God are like. In that every time they sin, it's like they're having an affair on me. They are cheating on me over and over and over. And here's what I want you to do, Hosea. I want you to keep pursuing her the way I keep pursuing my people. And so what does Hosea do? You can go read it for yourself later. Is he walks through town and he begins to go around and be like, hey, has anybody seen Gomer? People are like, You talking about your wife? Like, yeah, my wife. You don't know where your wife is? Like, that's messed up. Like, talking about embarrassment. Dude, anybody see my wife? Anybody's seen her, right? He's going, he's looking for her. Eventually he finds her and she's being sold in an auction. She's being sold as a sex slave. And so here's the auctioneer. Hosea walks in like, hello, that's my wife. Auctioneer's like, I don't care who you say she is. She's mine now. And if you want her, you're going to have to buy her back. And so what does Hosea do? Even though it's his wife, he pays money and he buys back his wife so that she could be freed from the slavery and the abuse of these men and experience, again, that's the story goes on to say, the love that she had been longing for back at home with her husband. And what God says is, listen, that is a picture of the gospel. That is the heart of God in that he has pursued you through Jesus. And what Jesus came to do was literally, through his own blood, ransom you, pay for you, so that you can now be brought into a relationship with God. Jesus says, again, you want to know why I came? You want to know my mission? Here it is, to seek and save the lost. In John 3, 17, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world. I came so the world could be saved. Has anyone in here ever seen the movie Lion? I got a a cover of it. Okay, one back there. Movie Lion. I talked about this a couple years ago. This is a movie about a true story. It's about a kid by the name of Saru who actually, when he was four years old, was separated from his mom and his brother. Um, he, his brother was eight years old. He was supposed to be watching him, but he lost track of him. Saru ended up on a train, fell asleep on the train, and then a thousand miles away from home, he wakes up in a place he's never been. And he doesn't know his mom's name. Right? a four-year-old. It's like, what's your mom's name? Mom? He doesn't know his mom's name. Where are you from? I don't know. So he ends up literally, true story again, for a week, just eating scraps off a street until eventually he ends up in the system and he gets adopted by a family, moves to Australia. He's there for 25 years, has a pretty decent life, but he can't stop thinking about his mom. He has nightmares of his mom crying out, Saru, Saru. And so he just wants to be with his mom. And, and, and one day he's in college and a girl comes to him and she says, hey, have you heard about this thing called Google Earth? So it's a software. You can still use it today. But literally, you can see images from anywhere in the world through satellite. And she was like, you could probably use Google Earth, maybe see some images of like kind of where you think you were from. Maybe that would spark a memory and you could kind of go to that place and maybe try to track down your mom. And so here's what happens. Again, true story. For nine hours a day for three years, he gets on Google Earth trying to find one image that would spark a memory of where he might have come from so he can find his mom. Nine hours a day for three years until eventually he finds a picture of a water tower. And he says, I I used to play beside that water tower. And then he notices from this water tower, there's this dirt road. I remember me and my brother used to run and play up and down that dirt road. So he tracks this dirt road back to this village. He's like, I think that's my village. Again, true story. Gets in the village, looking at all these different images. He's like, that's my house. I remember growing up in that house. And so let's go to the next slide. If you've not seen this kind of spoiler alert, this does ruin the movie for you just a little bit. But that's the real Saru who eventually found his mom. Like they get reunited. And if you're watching this movie, I mean, like Megan and I, like like I'm crying, she's crying. And in that moment, I'm like, like man, like this is the heart of God. Like Saru, for 25 years, like I've got to find my mom. I've got to pursue her. I'm going to sacrifice everything to get to her. I'll sacrifice my job. I'll sacrifice my money, my time, my energy. I will do whatever it takes to track her down. Why? Because whenever you lose something of incredible value, you'll do whatever it takes to get it back. And that's the point of the gospel. This is what Jesus did for you and for me he left the perfect place in heaven so he could come to this earth through his life, death, and resurrection and bring us into a relationship with his father. Saru's sacrifice was great, but it was nothing compared to the sacrifice that God has made for you. John three sixteen God so loved the world he didn't just love the world, he so loved the world that he gave his son to come and live a perfect sinless life we could not live and to suffer and die a brutal death. We would never want to die and then raise from the dead so that now if you simply believe, you don't have to earn it, but if you simply believe no matter how wicked you are or vile you are, no matter how lost you think you are in Christ, you can right now experience the loving embrace of the Father, which is what we all long for. In the words of David in Psalm 23, you can know that goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of God forever. That is the point of the gospel. And what I want you to know before we end today is what Jesus has done for you. He now wants to do through you. Jesus, through his church, through his body, wants to seek and save the lost. He wants to make, he wants us to make the sacrifice. He wants us to get out of our comfort zones He wants us to pursue those who are lost and without hope. Paul says in Corinthians 5 that we have been given as Christians the same ministry and message of reconciliation that Jesus himself was given. What that means is, listen, if you understand that, is that we are now called by Jesus to live in such a way and to speak in such a way that through the power of the Spirit we are increasingly seeing this place look less like hell and more like heaven. This is our call as a church, guys. As a disciple of Jesus, this is what you're commanded to do, to not just perform good works with your hands, but proclaim the good news with your mouth. And I'll say this, by the way, too. This is not just something that is reserved for certain personality types. That's a misconception. Like, Jesus never says, hey, if you're a three on the Enneagram, go make disciples of all nations. Never says, hey, if you're an eight on the Enneagram, kind of have a dominant personality, like, go and preach the gospel. And the rest of you guys, don't do jack squat, because you'll mess it all up if you try it. He doesn't say that. This is a call to every single person. Do you realize that if you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? That is a dynamic power that is to propel us forward on this mission to preach the gospel. And if that seems intimidating to some of you today, like if it seems overwhelming, if you feel like you're so unprepared for this, I want you to remember this. If you don't hear anything else, I'll say hear this. Remember that whenever you go out and you begin to proclaim the gospel, that the power is not in your presentation. The power is in the gospel. The power is not in the method. The power is in the message. And so please hear me, guys. The pressure's off. (laughs) When it comes to this practice of preaching the gospel, the pressure's off. Many of you feel like, I can't share the gospel. I don't have the right personality. I don't have a seminary degree like you do, Jared. I don't have all the answers. Paul says it's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation, not how smooth you are. So here's my encouragement to you as a church before we end the day. What would happen if we just went out and preached the gospel and let the gospel do its work? Like, what do you think would happen if we would just turn the gospel loose and then trust that it's not gonna be about about your presentation, but the gospel itself that saves people? I have personally seen some really bad gospel presentations in my day. I've given a few of them. Y'all remember tracks back in the 90s? How you would leave that, it looked like a $100 bill for your waiter And they'd be like, oh, thank God, I've been struggling to pay bills. Some kind Christian person left me a $100 tip, and they open it up, and it's the Roman road on the inside. Like, oh! It's not a great method of evangelism. People have come to Christ through that, though. I used to teach evangelism explosion. What a name. Evangelism explosion. That's what we should have called this series. Um... I used to teach that whenever I was in college, Uh, the church I worked for. I would teach it, and, and every Tuesday night, we would go and just knock on doors. Didn't even know the people. At night, they would open the door, and here was our opening line. My iPad just totally went off. Our opening line was this. If you were to die tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven? How's that for like, I've never met you. Not like, hey, you want some apple pie? Or hey, how are you? Like, if you were to die right now, what would you do? You know, it's like, not a great technique, but God would still use it. And people would come to know him through it. And I just share that to say this, man, again, the gospel is so powerful that even if you share it in an imperfect way, the Spirit of God can animate that and open someone's heart and make it explosively alive in them and transform their lives forever. And so here's the call today. If you're one of the 48% who hasn't shared your faith in the past week, I want to encourage you, man, to start sharing your faith. To start sharing your faith. And if you've been sharing your faith, if you've been evangelism, like, man, keep it up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep sowing those seeds and trust that eventually God will bring about a harvest. You know, if I can just confess to you for a moment, as pastors, the, the level of self-pity that pastors can have for themselves sometimes is pathetic, uh, especially on Monday mornings, you know, where it's like I get up here each week and I work 15 hours or whatever it is on a sermon, and it's like I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to share it, and maybe this will be the week where someone comes to know Jesus or whatever else in most weeks it doesn't happen. And so there's just mornings so I'm like, God, why me? You know, it's like, why can't I just be one of those pastors who can halfway decent preach? We have a halfway decent band, a good kids ministry, and each week like hundreds of people are coming to know you, right? Like, why can't that be me? Or it's like, you know, I've been working with Muslims in our city, most of you know this, sharing the gospel with Muslims that live here in our city for four years. And I've not baptized one of them. And it's so easy to be like, you know what, I'm done, Lord. I obviously care about this more than you do. Like, you're sovereign. Like, you figure it out. So easy to do that. Become so cynical. It ain't going to work. And that's one of the reasons Romans 1 has been so convicting to me this past week. Because here you have the Apostle Paul, a man who lost everything because he chose to follow Jesus. He's been imprisoned, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. Eventually, he's been murdered for preaching the gospel. And still, he says in verse 15, I am so eager to get to Rome. For what reason? To preach the gospel. Why? Because his life had been wrecked by it. This was not just true news. It was good news. It was powerful news that he knew that, man, if I can just unleash this thing, if I can just go preach it, it is going to be the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Young, old, educated, uneducated, black, white, and it's going to save people. And therefore... Man, like that's my hope for us, that we would just be a people like Paul who would be faithful to preach the gospel and trust that God will be faithful to changing the world one life at a time. Please hear me this morning. We're almost done, guys. The gospel is not broken. Don't listen to what's being said. The gospel is not broken. If it could save someone like me... If it could save the Apostle Paul, if it could save a godless place like Rome, and it did, the gospel can save anyone. And therefore, in 2022, here's our kind of thematic goal for the year. Here's like the thing I want us to run after. I want us to begin to expect impossible salvations in the most least likely of people. I want us to expect, that's what I'm praying for, that we would honestly expect impossible salvations in the most least likely of people. That we would stop believing the lie that just because there's a church building on every corner, that everybody in Paragould saved. I read a stat this past week that 42 percent of people in Paragould don't even claim to have any religious affiliation. 42 percent. It's just evidence that even the churches that typically are growing in our city are transfer growth. I like this music better than that music, or this preaching better than it. it's just people jumping from one church to the next. It's not new conversion growth. Stop believing the lie that, man, everyone's been saved. Everyone's heard the gospel. Stop believing the lie that that people don't want to receive the gospel. Here's my experience. The media will tell you people are more hardened to the gospel than ever before. That's not been my experience. My experience, actually, over the last year or really two years, is like ever since COVID, like people are actually more open to hearing the gospel than ever before. I think people are more desperate than ever before. I think there are more people who have experienced disappointment from the American dream that it doesn't satisfy. So from my experience, people are looking for hope. They're looking for joy. They're looking for love. They're looking for answers. And my prayer is that in the words of Jesus, man, we would be a people compelled to go out into the highways and the byways and trust that as the gospel is proclaimed through the power of the spirit, that we will see impossible salvations in the most least likely of people. To help us get there, our practice for this week, again, I told you this is a practicing series, is one, I want to encourage you to, this week, to meditate on or to memorize Tyson's summary of the gospel. If you can come up with a better summary, that's fine. But we need to get clear on the gospel. If you can't get the gospel in your head, it's going to be hard for it to get into your heart. If it's not in your heart, you're not going to do anything I just told you to do or that Jesus has told you to do. So I want to encourage you to meditate on and memorize John Toss Summary of the Gospel, again, that's on the UVersion Bible app. If you're in a missional community, that'll also be sent out to you. You'll have that there where you can see it. And then secondly, I would encourage you, man, just to give your best to go preach the gospel to people who are far from God. It might mean you feel weird or uncomfortable, but I want to encourage you to do that. And, and if you're a member of this church, um, you know, every year we have you write down the names of one or two people that you want to see come to faith. Start there. Start there. They're not going to come to faith apart from hearing the gospel preached. And so that's the practice for this week. And if you're here and you're like, well, I don't like this idea, Jared, of preaching the gospel. Well, listen, let me say this. Everybody you see is preaching the gospel. Did you realize that? Everybody you meet is preaching the gospel of something or someone, whether it's the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of a new show or how amazing their kids are or how their team just won or whatever it may be. And so for you to preach the gospel is to do what everybody else around you is doing. But you know what the difference is between you and everybody else? Is that the difference is the gospel you're preaching really is the best news on the planet. And listen... It's the news that every single person in our city is longing for, whether they know it or not. The people around you are hungry and they're thirsty for God. I love that line from G.K. Chesterton who once said, every time a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's searching for God. That's so true. Every time someone clicks and looks at porn, what they're really searching for is the love of God. Every time they pop a pill, Every time they work an ungodly amount of hours. Every time, what we're doing is we're looking for God. Fulfillment. Satisfaction that he alone can give us. Sex can't give it to us. Money can't give it to us. Success can't give it to us. Had a great conversation this past week. You know, with Coach Gunn, who's here now. And he's been a chance to be in, around these big time coaches. Who've been very successful in college. can make a lot of money. He's like, it doesn't do it. It doesn't do it apart from Jesus. This stuff does not fulfill. And that is because, as, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, that we were created with eternity in our hearts. That means we were created longing for one or longing for something that only God can meet. And because that is true, I really believe this, guys. The most loving thing we can do is evangelize. The most loving thing we can do is to be the, the weird person who walks in the room and says, I have the greatest news on the planet that I cannot not share with you. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Man, may we be a people, a good news people, who through the power of the Spirit seek to save the lost as we are proclaiming the gospel that is so powerful that as it's being preached, we can expect impossible salvations, even in the most least likely of places. I want to pray for us and um, I'm going to have the band go ahead and you can come up the band those preparing communion and I want to pray over us and then after I do is as, as as we do this every single week for those of you who might be new uh, let me explain this to you we partake of communion and we really believe that this is something that Jesus has called us and commanded us to do it's a way that we can experience the gospel in a real and tangible way. And so if uh, you're new and, and you want to know, like, how does this work? Basically, And just a moment after I pray, um, if you're interested in partaking of communion, if you're a Christian, uh, you can come up um, here and you can tear off. A, there'll be a piece of bread tore off for you. Dip it in the juice. The bread represents the perfect life of Christ on our behalf. The juice represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. If you don't feel comfortable coming up here, um, there are cups in the back you can grab, um, little disposable cups and a wafer. You can take communion that way. If you're here and you're not a Christian, um, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, if you've never received this gospel, I would encourage you, rather than receiving communion, receive Jesus. Receive what he's done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. And if you have questions about uh, what does that look like or how do I do that, uh, Adam's up here in the front. I oh, he'll be happy to connect with you. I will be up here in the front. we we'll would be happy to, to talk with you and pray as well. Um, let me just pray a prayer over you. And then when you're ready, you can stand. Take communion, and we'll sing one final song together. Father, I thank you so much for those who are here, for those who are watching online or listening. I do pray that right now that you would, through your spirit, help us to believe the gospel is not just true news, but it's good news. Father, I have a sense in a room this large that for some of us the gospel has become old news. Um, I think of the woman who came forward in our first service who just threw herself up here, right in the middle of preaching, uh, calling out for you. It just, God, I pray that within all of us there would be that sense of desperation, um, that we would realize just how much we need you, and that we would truly believe that you've accomplished everything for us, that you said you've accomplished. And I pray that through your spirit you'd make this alive in our hearts, and that as a result we cannot not just go and share the good news with others around us. I pray for those who maybe right now who do not know you, whether again listen online or hear in person, that just as you did for me when I was 20, that you would do for them, that right now through your Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, you would help them to see that they have never truly given their lives to you. And I pray that you would plant the gospel deep in their hearts. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.